on today for our conference. We have a, a worldwide conference. If you've seen those posters, we'll be going later on. We'll be getting there for tomorrow for it to start, and I'll be preaching at it uh, this week. We're having full service tonight, full service Wednesday. Uh, two great words are going to come, great messages. My dad's going to be preaching. Brian's going to be preaching. There's going to be some awesome testimonies, too, as well. How many enjoyed that testimony this morning? Amen. Isn't that awesome to hear how God answers and responds? So keep coming back. Come back tonight. Come back Wednesday night. But that's why we're a little short this morning on workers. So a lot of, lot of people out. Kind of reminds me back when we first started the church and didn't have workers and had to do everything. You know, I, I would have got up here and led singing, but I don't have much of a voice. So I, so I just stood back and, and did uh, Millie Vanilli. <laughs> How many remember Millie Vanilli? Man, you guys are young. There's no old people in here that remember Millie Vanilli? Are y'all serious? Wow. I know we have a young church now. There's only about five of us. Let me see your hands again if you know who Millie Vanilli is. Wow. Man, we got a young church. Well, Millie Vanilli was a really good group. <laughs> they just didn't sing their own songs. They lip-synced. And they were real popular in the 90s when I was in high school and growing up. And, and they came to find out that they uh, weren't singing. They were lip-syncing. So they stopped the group. So that's what I was doing this morning. I was Millie Vanilli. Amen. Get your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15. I've got a word for you from the Lord this morning. Amen. And I want you to just open your hearts to what God has to say to you today. You know, we look at this world we live in and... Um, how many know there's a lot, of, a lot of attractions in the world? A lot of things that look good, a lot of things that pull on us. You know, all, there's not one person in here this morning. We can be different in, in our tastes. We can be different in our desires. You know, some people want some things, some people want others. But everybody wants things. Everybody desires things. And I'm talking about materially, job-wise, place to live, something to drive, those different things, clothes to wear. Everybody has something that they really like you know there's some people even if someone's really frugal and uh doesn't spend a lot of money there there's always something somebody spends money on you ever notice that you might you might see someone and they don't spend money on what you spend money on but something's important to them and they will sacrifice to buy it they'll sacrifice to save up to it they'll sacrifice to have it maybe for some people it's nice furniture for other people's it's uh, nice clothes. I know a lot of people, I won't mention any names in here this morning who really like shoes. Guys too, amen, have lots of shoes. And uh, there's things we like, amen. I won't even look over in this section over here. Amen. But there's things we like. One thing I like a lot, but I've never really had much of it is, is cars. I like cars. If I had money, and I could ask, I got the mic, so I'll tell you what I would have if I had money. I would have I told my dad yesterday I would probably get a new car every six months just to have a different one. I, I really like a new car. I haven't had many. God did bless me one time to buy a brand new car with no mileage on it, plastic on the seats, and then God told me six months later to sell it. So I didn't have it for very long. But I do like cars, and to, when I drive to this conference, I got a friend named Tyrone, and he's in Costa Rica this morning, and uh, he, he just bought a brand new car and um, it's a sh nice Chevy Malibu. It's out there. And it's, it's like a ship. It's got a computer in the middle of it, and it rides really nice. And he only has 1,500 miles on that car. 
And he said I could take it to Colorado Springs to, for the conference. Isn't that crazy? Who does that? But he did, so I'm going to take it. And I'm going to put more miles on it in this trip than he has on it right now. He's had the car almost a year. Only has 1,500 miles on it. But I was driving that thing around, and I was showing my dad all the buttons I didn't understand, and I let him drive it and, and cross the street to a store. And, and I just said, man, if I had money, I'd get something new every day, every six months. Sorry. How many, how many have something you like that money attracts to, right? Everybody's got that. And uh, then if it's maybe it's not money, maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's things. Maybe it's a hobby. There's all these things that, tr that pull us. There's things that maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's hunting. Maybe it's uh, the cowboys. It's, it's sports. It's, it can be more than one thing. But how many are following me? There's things we like. There's things that attract us. There's things that uh, we enjoy. But I want to make this statement after I just said all of that. What would it, would, it, would it mean if everything in this world was all we had? If this, was, if this world was all we had. Can you imagine that? And I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. If you're there, just give me a loud amen so I can start reading. For if the dead do not rise then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Now, right before we continue reading for a second, I want to just make a statement in case you, you don't know this. I always like to preach as if you don't know anything about the Bible. And I want to tell you this morning that 2,000 years ago, God came down from heaven and into, a, into a bodily form and lived a perfect life on this earth to die for you and me and his entire purpose church was to come and to be a living sacrifice the bible says that adam and we have a lot of new converts in our church we have a lot of people who are just getting saved and it's kind of this is kind of a great message this morning for because all of our our, our most of our leaders and everything that think they know it all just kidding that know a lot amen are gone so we got a lot of the young new converts here so this is a great message for you that the Bible says Adam sinned, and because he sinned, we're all condemned. That's basically what the Bible says. Adam sinned, I'm condemned. Because of his sin, I'm, I, I'm born into sin nature. And so Jesus came down, and then Romans 5 says, you don't have to look at it, but Romans 5 says that because of Adam's sin, all men were condemned, but because of Jesus' death, all are free. So Adam sinned, all are condemned. Jesus died, all are free. It's easy math, amen? But the key to the understanding of the gospel is we have to believe, say believe. Now that's not just a saying, but believe right here in your heart that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead after three days. Amen? And I want to say something I said several months ago, but there's visitors. There's always somebody new here. I want to make sure you don't miss this. I want to tell you something that, you know, we, we, we have to have faith to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we have to so, certain, so, 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 so believe that Jesus was on the earth because that's a historical fact, actually. But we didn't see him. But I, I remind you that the, the, the historians are saying now and lawyers and, and people of great importance are saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most verifiable event in history. Let me say that again. 
Uh, I don't remember his name, and I always forget it when I go to say this, and I wasn't planning on saying it, but the co-founder of Harvard, when he, that's, that's the greatest law school in the world, was challenged by his students. This is for somebody this morning. Somebody here needs to hear this. He was challenged by his students that, that to, to prove um, that Jesus was not real. And so he began to, to, to make a case, as a lawyer would, to prove that Jesus was not real. And as he began to do that, he began to find out Jesus was real. And by the time he was done with his studies and trying to prove that Jesus was not real, he made a statement as the co-founder of Harvard that by law, practice alone, and by the fundamentals of law, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most verifiable event in history. Can you say amen? Most verifiable event in history. That's a fact. And that's what our faith is based on. Listen, if you don't believe that, you're in trouble. But if you believe that, you're in, good, you're in a good place. So we have to believe that. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying in this statement, if we believe that Jesus Christ is risen, or if, or if Jesus Christ is not risen, then we can't rise. That means that if he didn't de defeat death, that means when I die, I can't defeat death. That means when I die, it's over. And I don't have any hope. But the Bible says here, let's get back to this. I want to make sure you understood that. It says here, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or meaningless. In other words, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Meaning those who've died, your grandparents, your brothers, your sisters, the people who we've done funerals for and we've said, oh, God, rest their soul, rest in peace. All the things people say in the hope that they're in heaven is futile if Jesus did not rise from the dead. But look at verse 19. Look at this statement Paul makes that's so powerful. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Father, anoint your word for the next few minutes. Anoint hearts to listen, to hear, and to understand the power of this word this morning, to realize, God, that there's more than just this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we just believe that Jesus Christ was on the earth but did not rise from the dead, our faith is futile, and we are to be pitied by more than anybody else because our faith is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's based on the fact that he's going to come back again for those that believe in him. And, and so that's a lot to put on, on a man, and that's our faith. And Paul is saying, and remember, Paul is somebody who saw Jesus. He had a vision. He saw him. He, he, he was challenged by Jesus and, and said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you running from me? And Paul was a religious person. He knew the Bible. Killed Christians, as a matter of fact. Didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But he had a vision and he had a, a, an encounter with God. And Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to serve me. And then we know he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But I want you to know this morning that the Bible tells us that if, if our hope is just in this life, meaning if, if I live to be 80 years old, 90 years old, even 100 years old, if I live that long of a life, what good is it? What does it mean if this is it? Think about that. 
And then you go beyond that to, to hear, you know, just, just the other day, just last week, some three, three, three young people were killed in an accident right here in Ponder. Ponder, right? Right here in Ponder where Dan and Josh live. And, and two of them went to school with my daughter, and, and Irene knew them, and, and uh, Dustin knew them, and uh, several people in the church knew them. They're gone. 22 years old, I think. Young. If, if their entire life was based in 22 years, they're, they're to be pitied if they have no faith in and something after we die. How many are seeing what this is saying? So you look today at this world that's so driven by money. Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And a lot of people get it wrong and think, well, because uh, it says that mo- the love of money is the root of all evil. They miss the part that it says the love of and just think, well, money's bad. Money's not bad unless you're in love with it. Money's not bad unless you love it more than God. And this world loves money more than God. And they push and they go and they do. And, 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 they, and they, they sacrifice and they save and they buy and, and they work long hours and all these things to have things that don't mean anything, Paul says, if there's nothing beyond this world. You know, there's a lot of athletes I was looking yesterday. As I love sports and I'm an athlete myself. I was looking at some of the salaries that these guys are making and anybody that doesn't play sports is mad at them and hates them and jealous, and that's understandable. But if you were them, you wouldn't be so uh, upset. They're making ridiculous money. It really is ridiculous. And, you know, there's a soccer player um, named Ronaldo. Ronaldo, right? Who makes $90 million a year. And 50 or $60 million of that comes from his team. That's not even sponsorships. That's a salary. And then there's a race car driver. Chris, this is for you, right, buddy? Makes like $150 million a year. There's a boxer named Floyd Mayweather who actually is really a dancer, just moves around a lot. He gets $180 million a year and flaunts it, too, that he's got that much money. LeBron James... They call him the king. I've never called him the king because I only have one king. Amen. I admire him as, as a basketball player, but I only have one king. Amen. Ain't nobody else getting that name from me. But they call him the king, and he just signed a contract. He makes, you know, he makes like $70, $80 million a year with his endorsements, but he just signed a contract for a billion dollars. His new shoe contract is a billion dollars for shoes. And so we think about the money that these guys are making. And you can't even, listen, you can't even spend that kind of money. You would literally, to try to spend that kind of money, and I know some of you are saying, man, I sure would like to have a shot at that, amen? I would like to try. But you say, you can't spend it. You'd have to hire people. You'd have to say, this is my office. These are my employees. And what they do is they spend my money. You'd have to have full-time employees spending money to try to spend the money some of these guys have. But you know what, church? When they die, if they don't know Jesus Christ, it means nothing. Zero. Can you follow with me on that? I know, a lot, I know in here this morning there's a lot of people who like sports and admire those athletes. And, and again, you, you, if you ever played something, you wish you could have made that kind of money. And then you think, man, what could I do with that kind of money? And how could I help? And all these things go through your mind. We all think those things. And if you don't, you're lying. 
Amen. We all think what we, what we could do and what we would do if we had money. But let me tell you something. Those people that don't know Jesus Christ, when they breathe their last breath, LeBron James, if he does not know Jesus Christ, Floyd Mayweather, if he does not know Jesus Christ, Ronaldo, if he does not know Jesus Christ, are no bodies in hell. Did you hear me? Nobodies. They're nobodies. They're not even going to be known by their name. Do you realize that? That name means everything. Their names will mean nothing. Their riches will mean nothing. Warren Buffett's riches mean nothing. Bill Gates' money means nothing. All that stuff means nothing. Paul is saying, unless you believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And I want you to look real quick before I go into some other things. Just in this same chapter, if you'd go down just a few verses, what happens beyond beyond our lives. It says there that we're to be the most pitied if there is no resurrection. But look what verse 20 says. But now Christ is risen. Say somebody, somebody say that with me. Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man, this is kind of got ahead of myself. This is what I was saying. By man came death. But by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his order, Christ, the firstfruits afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. And if you'll shoot down to verse 50, I'll show you what the future holds for us as believers. We're living in a day, and I'm not going to get into that this morning because it's never message, but I preach a lot of messages on this. We're living in a day that this could happen at any time. This is something we're looking forward to. If you are, are in this world and, and, and you're tired of it and you're thinking, man, I, I don't have any hope. Listen, there's hope this morning. Or if you're living in this world and you love this world, stop loving this world, amen? Because this world has nothing for you, I'm telling you. Fall in love with Jesus this morning, amen? And you will find that he'll give you peace and happiness that you've never had. Verse 50 says, I say, brethren, verse, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, watch this, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. Sleep means die. Yes, he says that means there's going to be some people who are not physically going to die. A generation, a people, a time in history, and it says, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the dead will be raised incorruptible. Watch this, and we shall be changed. Amen. How many are ready to have a glorified body? Amen. Don't have to worry about cancer anymore. Don't have to worry about sickness anymore. Don't have to worry about heart problems anymore or what we're going to eat or what we can eat or exercise, any of that stuff. God's going to give us a glorified body. And the Bible says that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it lives in you, will quicken this mortal body meaning we can have health and healing while we are on this earth because that same spirit lives in us. I want to talk this morning about a man who is the all-time. I mentioned you some people just recently in our time. I want to talk to you about the all-time heavyweight champion of the world in riches, the richest man who ever lived. And listen, Bill Gates, Bill Gates could rake the leaves of this man's yard. There's not, a, there's not a man who even comes close 
to King Solomon of the Bible. The richest man who ever lived was a God-fearing man, and he loved God. Amen? And the Bible says he didn't, listen, King Solomon didn't have money. Did you know you can have so much money you don't even have money? We can't even talk about money for King Solomon. He had something more valuable than money. He had riches. He had wealth. He had money that, that we can't really even explain, but I'm just going to give you a quick explanation. How many like numbers? Just to understand, I'm saying this for a reason because in our minds, our minds tell us, I need this, I need that, I want this, I want that. I hold on to this. There's things we hold on to in this world because we're human. And, and, and most of us have had a thought, man, if I just, come on, be real with me. If I just had this, how many have ever said that? If I just had this, and you put in the blank, relationship, marriage, friend, car, money, job, career. If I just had this, I'd be what? What would you be? Happy. And then what we say? If I just had this, I'd go around and get all kinds of different things. Some people would say, I don't need money, and that's fine. But you can't do much without it. Everybody needs money to live. But this man had so much money, he could control the value of money. He was the stock exchange. He was the currency of the world. He had so much money, he could tell Bill Gates, hey, you're, you're 60, 80, whatever billion dollars are like food stamps. He could tell him, you're on food stamps now. Bill Gates, you're on food stamps with your 60 billion. Those 60 billion will buy you some milk. He, that's how much power King Solomon had in riches. Or he could tell him that he'd be a billionaire again, just like that. That's how powerful Solomon was. I'm saying this for a reason. He could basically tell you he had $10 or $10 trillion and he'd be telling the truth. That's how rich Solomon was. According to the NIV Bible, listen to this, this part in 1 Kings. You don't have to look at it just for time. I'm not trying to focus on that, but I want you to hear this. 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles 9, King Solomon received 666 talents of gold a year as a salary. We talked about these guys with their hundreds of millions. If we looked at his salary today, and we looked at what one talent of gold is equal to today and what it converts into at current market prices, and this was several years ago, that would be uh, $1,230 an ounce. He would be getting about $908 million, sorry, close to a billion dollars a year. Close to a billion dollars a year, but do you realize this was twenty-seven or 3000 years ago a billion dollars a year here and this was just his salary not including his bonuses or his investments and King Solomon ruled for 40 years so he made in his lifetime 3,000 years ago 40 billion dollars 3,000 years ago the History Channel did a documentary on him taking listen to this taking all of his income in together his net worth now remember I told you Bill Gates is the richest man in the world he he has about 60 billion dollars Solomon King Solomon's net worth and they're just doing numbers and today would have been 850 billion dollars 
to put that in perspective, like I said, even if Bill Gates at certain times has gotten to eight, 80 billion, it's 10 times what Bill Gates has today. One of the reasons was he had to take care of 700 wives, amen? Bill Gates didn't have to take care of that many wives. That's a lot of child support. I, I close on this point with this. Taking into account what his father David had already had on today's market, together they were worth $222 trillion. To put that into perspective, our nation is 18 or $19 trillion in debt. He could have paid the debt off just like that. Now, I said all this to say this. If you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, there's a reason I just said all that. Because I want you to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I like, I, like to, I like to listen to people who've had something, see what their perspective is. Give me an amen when you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Old Testament, near Psalms, Proverbs. I really want you to see this this morning. Love to hear those pages turning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You there? Verse 10. These are the words of Solomon. The one I just told you is the richest man to ever live. Here's what he said. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is vanity. The man who had everything you could ever want, and some, and some, and some, and some, and some, says it's worthless. It's vanity. Crazy, huh? Because that's what we do. We say, if oh, I, just, I would like to try that. I'd like to see if, if it would be vanity for me. I've never met, listen, I've never, ever, ever, ever in my years of my life, and I've met a lot of people who've had money, never met one who had it, who said it made them happy. Never. I've told the story many times. Most people know who Deion Sanders is. Played for Dallas Cowboys. They called him primetime. Made lots and lots of money. Thank God. I don't know, I don't know, how, much, you know how he lives his life, but he has given his life to Jesus Christ. He says it very clearly. I don't know his walk, but I believe he's born again. But when he, before he met Jesus, before he got saved, he said he was, he was searching so bad for, for fulfillment. And he would go get those humongous paychecks. And if you've seen any pictures of him, in gold and chains and earrings, all the things, cars. And he said one time, he said he'd, he'd buy things and, and, and then he'd think, this is going to make me happy. And then he'd buy it and then emptiness would come into his heart. And he'd go buy something else and emptiness. And one time he said, I'm going to go buy a brand new Ferrari, cash. Can you imagine what that would be like to walk into a dealership and buy a brand new Ferrari with cash in the bag? And just say, here's the money. He did that, and he said, I just know this is going to make me happy. He tells this story himself. He turned that car on. You can imagine that sound. You can imagine the feeling. Put that thing in gear, got to the edge of the parking lot. He was so excited and happy. He said he began to pull out of the parking lot, and as he pulled out of the parking lot, his heart sunk, and he was empty. That car meant nothing. 
He thought it was going to fulfill him. He didn't even make it past the parking lot. And then he goes on to say, I don't remember if it was that day or that week or soon after he bought that car, he, he drove it off a cliff and tried to kill himself. Most people don't know that. He was so miserable with all the things that the world says make us happy. How many are following me this morning? Verse 11, when goods increase, Solomon says, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich, watch this, this is interesting. The abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. It means the more you have, the more worry you have. Now listen, I'm not against anybody or saying that you can't have things or be rich or be blessed. I'm just trying to tell you it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to make you happy. And if you'll ever talk to someone who has had money, they're going to tell you this. But I'm trying to give it to you from the very best person who's ever, ever, ever experienced money in the world, which is Solomon. He says it's vanity. The abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Amen? How many with me? Go to Matthew chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 16. One of the reasons we don't think seriously about life after death is because a lot of people don't believe, or I would say don't want to believe that there is life after death. And I'm just going to say something to you before I read these verses in Luke chapter 16. We're going to see something real quick. But my belief has always been this. I know without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that God changed me, saved me, delivered me, gave me a new life from the person that I used to be. I know in my heart that he's real. And all of those things, I say that, and I know that, but I just say this to people, that if I'm wrong and Jesus doesn't exist and Jesus didn't die on the cross for my sins and Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead and it's not true, then I have nothing to lose. I just die and the lights go out and it's over. I have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You're with me? But if it's true, like I believe it is, and people don't believe, and they say there is no Jesus and there is no resurrection and they die and they're wrong, they have everything to lose everything and listen church today this morning hell is full hell is full and it's full of people who would give anything and everything they've ever seen or had in their lives to come back and breathe one more breath that's how serious this is one more breath and say Jesus come on that's what they'd say in their one breath. Jesus. If they were to come back and someone said, you can have one word, they would shout Jesus. Let me show you why I believe this so much. Luke chapter 16. I guess I ought to get there myself, huh? I'm not going to work in Ecclesiastes. Luke 19, 16, sorry. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. 
that would meet the bill of a lot of people I've talked about this morning. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sowers who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog came and licked his sowers. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, meaning paradise, heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. So they both died. And being in torments in Hades, which is another word for hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, meaning Abraham was alive, meaning there's life after death, and Lazarus there in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Church, there's a lot of people today who don't like to read the Bible and they don't want to talk about hell and they figure if they don't talk about it then it doesn't exist. It's, it, it's real. And, and we don't do this as a scare factor. We don't do this as, 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 as something to put fear in you just to, to make you scare. We do it because it's a real place. And if Jesus talked about it, it's important. And again, I'm talking to new believers this morning, and I want to tell you that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. Much more. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to go there. It's not made for humans. It's made for the devil and his demonic angels that followed him when they fell against God in heaven. It wasn't intended for man. God had a different purpose. Just like today, those prisons and those jail cells that are made and continue to have to be built over and over and built over and over and there's not enough to hold them. Just like that, the jail cells are being made. They're not made for people that are good. They're made for people that don't do right. Now, don't give me the, oh, there's people in there. That are, yes, I understand. There's probably people in there that are, that, are not, that are not wrong. I'm talking generally. Jail was built for people who did not obey. Hell was built for people who did not obey. Not for believers, not for people who love God. Amen. He doesn't want people to go there. What verse do we leave off in? Read that again. He says, 24. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. He didn't even ask for a glass of water. He asked for him to dip his finger and just touch the tip of his tongue. But Abraham said, watch this closely, son. Remember that in your lifetime you received your goods and things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, this is the key. There's a, there's a gulf, great gulf fixed between us. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from here to us, from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, watch this, Father, that you'd send him to my father's house. He realizes I am, I am damned eternally. There's nothing I can do. Can you send someone back to my family? For I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets, meaning the word and the scriptures. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one risen from the dead. Hell's a real place. And it's forever. It's eternal. So many people say there is no heaven, there is no hell. 
And that's why I said, if this world is all we have, how many just give me a few more minutes here? Would you go to Mark chapter 9 with me? We're close by there in Luke. I want to quickly finish this morning. But I believe this message is going to help somebody. If this world is all we have. So it's okay as you're getting to Mark. It's okay to, to have a career. It's okay to push. It's okay to work. It's okay, as the world says today, to grind for your job. It's okay to, to have th that ambition have a career we're supposed to occupy till Jesus comes it's okay to do all that there's nothing wrong with that but you don't you don't do it with the purpose of just this life you do it with the understanding that I'm working for something that's eternal so Mark 9 says this because what some people will say is well maybe there is a hell we'll go there and we'll be tormented for a while and and then it'll be over there's a reason that Jesus was so specific in the word of God. He says here in Mark chapter 9, I do want to mention something else too. We've had some great Bible studies recently and we've been talking about what the Bible says and not what man says. Because today we have a lot of traditions. We have a lot of things that have been taught to us by people and people have been listening to people too long. It's time to listen to the word of God. Amen. It's time to see what God's word says on every subject there is. Not what some man says or some denomination says or some church says. Don't listen to anything I tell you if it's not in the Bible. Do not listen to it. I'm never going to tell you something that's of my opinion. And so we need to look and see that Jesus did not say that we would just go to hell and just be in misery for a while and then it would be over. Mark 9, 42 says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes, we talked about this in Discipleship Friday, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Not literally, but seriously, taking sin serious. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into fire. Watch this. Read Jesus Christ's words into fire that shall never be quenched. And if your foot causes you, sorry, where their worm does not die, and Jesus says it again, and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maim rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and for the fifth time their fire is not quenched. Have you noticed in the Bible when something's mentioned that many times, it's like a siren going off? And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For better, It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. How can you read the Bible and not believe in hell? It's not like I, it's not like, I like it. It's not like I'm trying to make it popular or I'm excited about it. But you can't ignore it. If people would hear more preaching on it, some people, oh, they're just always talking about hell and brimstone and danger. And if, if the train was coming to take you out on the train track, wouldn't you want someone to say, get off? If a tr truck was about to hit you on the road, wouldn't you want someone to shout, get off the road? Instead of, oh, you know what? Probably, probably had a lot of people tell them not, not to stand there. Let me just let them get hit. 
That's foolishness. And for anybody that doesn't know me, I say this from personal conviction, church, because this is what saved my life. This message. Not the whole world what we have thing, but this, the hell one. Because I walked into a church on a Tuesday night, October 4th of 1992. As a matter of fact, what's today, the second? Today's the second. Wow. This Tuesday's the fourth? Is that right? Pretty cool. 24 years ago, this Tuesday, I was sitting at the back of a church just like this, with sunglasses on, arms crossed, rebellious, didn't want to be at church. Went, because I was playing basketball in college, and my parents said, you got to go to church if you live at home. So I came in as late as I could. Thought the service was going to be our Tuesday night, the revival. And this man was preaching on hell. And listen, let me, let me tell you something this morning. I can tell you with every conviction in my bones, I thank God he was not preaching some message about prosperity or you can be a great champion or anything else but what he preached that night because that's what I needed to hear. I needed someone to hit me between the eyes with a two-by-four. Amen. And tell me that's, that's where you're going. And as he's preaching, and he's preaching with such a powerful fire and the Holy Spirit and anointing, it grasped me. And I, and I began to do what a lot of people do. And I love to watch people do this when I'm preaching. They begin to shift a lot in their seats. And they begin to twitch a lot. And they begin to move around because they get uncomfortable. They kind of want to walk out sometimes. But Holy Spirit doesn't let them. But the Holy Spirit's working and the devil's fighting. And there's a battle going on for your soul because devil wants you to go to hell. And Jesus wants you to go to heaven so there's this fight going on for your soul don't let the devil win devil's never done anything for me ever and I heard not in an audible voice but to my spirit I heard the voice of God say if you don't go tonight if you don't change tonight that's where you're going wow I knew I was smart enough that night to not mess around with God and say, you know what, I'll come back next week and I'll get, I got to go get some things in order. Church, I ran to the front of the altar before the preacher was even done preaching. My dad's here as a witness. He's the only one that was there that's here. It was about 9 or 9.30 when I got to that altar. And when I got up from snotting and crying all over that altar and repenting of my sins, repentance means turning away from your sins. Repentance means I'm sorry for what I've been doing. Repentance means I don't want to do it again. Repentance means, God, I know what's wrong now, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change. That's what repentance means, amen? I'm going to be different. I'm not going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus said, go and sin no more. And when I got up from that altar, it was midnight. You hear me? Two and a half hours, that am I lying? Two and a half hours at that altar. That's how messed up I was. And when I got up, not only did I get up saved, I got up with a call of God on my life. And that's why we're all sitting here today. Thank God for somebody preaching a message from the Bible. So think about that. Now, you don't talk about hell without talking about heaven. Because that's where we want to go. John 14, 
many people's favorite verses. And they're definitely some of mine. If you'll go there, John 14, as I close. Is this world all we have? Nope. Thank God it's not. Because if this world was all we had, we're miserable. We're pitiable. And you might say, man, you don't know how much money I got in my bank account. You don't know how many nice cars I have, house I have. I'm happy. It don't matter what you got. You're still to be pitied if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? Money don't mean nothing. Yeah. James 4.4. Amen. Write that down. James 4.4. You guys in John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. How many believe in God? Jesus' words again. You believe in God. We just heard what he said about hell. Now let's hear what he says now. You believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. Some of you say, I've never been in a mansion. I've never lived in a mansion. Well, guess what? It was like that old show with the, uh, what was the, uh, oh man, I lost it. The Jeffersons. We're moving on up. Amen. What is it, a high-rise apartment in the sky or something like that. Amen. We, we're going to be like the Jeff, Jeffersons. Amen. We're moving on up. No matter how nice your house is today, you're moving on up. Amen. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. It, and I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, what do you think Jesus Christ can prepare in 2,000 years? Woo. He, he, he made the world in seven days. Six days he worked and one day he rested. Can you imagine what Jesus has been doing for us? for the last 2,000 years. He says, I go to prepare a place for who? For who? He says, for you. For you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's where 1 Corinthians 15 came and we read about in the twinkling of an eye. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know and the way you know. Come on, somebody. That's enough to get excited about right there. Amen? If you love this world more than you love that verse, get saved this morning. Amen? We should be excited that God has a place for us. He has a plan for us. He has a destination for us. He's, he doesn't want us to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to perish. We just have to put our faith in him. And so it says, and, and I'm going to read this without trying to keep you to get, get there with me. Philippians 3.18 says through 20 our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed as, we, as I close this morning I want you to think about something of everything I've talked about there was a great baseball player here in, in the Metroplex named Josh Hamilton. Many of you know that name. He played for the Texas Rangers. Great baseball player. In 2008, he had an amazing season. He had been um, saved. He had given his life to the Lord. And he, he really made a change 
He even, he even played uh, an amazing song before they would call every player that comes up at the Rangers Stadium, they play a song for him. And they would play, he played a song, this is, not, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. He played that song. And I, I used to listen, I've, a few times I went to the stadium and I heard that song, I thought, man, what an amazing blessing to be able to play that song for 50,000 people as you come up to bat, amen? Making them thin, it says, give me Jesus, take this world and give me Jesus. And that was his thing. But after the 2008 season, he went to Arizona for three weeks for working out on his game. He stopped praying. He stopped doing his devotion. He stopped reading the word. Before he got saved, he had problems with alcohol. And one night, just one night, he went to a bar and he said, you know what, I just, I've been working hard. I've been really putting it in. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to reward myself with just one drink. Ain't the devil good at that? It's just one. That one drink led to 20. So that night, he got caught in the bar, drunk as a skunk, got in trouble, and his testimony went all the way down the road. He, had, he, had, he fell. He fell bad. Went into depression and a whole bunch of other things. I say that because we have to stay focused. We have to stay focused. You can't get weary, the Bible says, in well-doing. Some of you have been saying, man, I, I've been doing this for so long. Is this really real? Like Dana said this morning, you have to stay in it long enough to realize it works. The gospel works. The gospel works. When you do what God says to do, it works. So I want just quickly write these down. And musicians, you can come this morning. Write these down. Three things to stay focused on. Because I imagine if anybody's got any brains between their two ears this morning, every person in here wants to go to that place called heaven, and nobody wants to go to that place called hell. If, you, if, you, if you're one of those people that wants to go to hell, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Why would you want to go there? And you don't have to go there. You can be saved this morning. But if you want to make that your home, you have to focus. You have to stay with your eyes on the prize. And three things you need to stay focused on is this. Number one, on heaven understanding that when I go through struggles and trials and have problems heaven's my, I got a destination I'm going to I've got some bumps along the way, I'm going to have some troubles but heaven is my home and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there eventually and I'm not going to stray I'm not going to allow that one drink or that one relationship or that one mistake to pull me off path and you can write in your notes Revelations 21 and 22 read those two chapters later I don't have time to read them this morning, but read those two chapters. Powerful. Talking about what heaven's going to be like. And a lot of people say, and I'm, I'm, in that, I'm in that, on that team, I wish Jesus would have talked more about heaven. I wish he'd have given greater description. I wish he'd have gone into more, you know, description on what we're going to do than all that. But you know why he didn't? Because how many like a surprise? How many like a good surprise? God's going to give us a good surprise. He didn't want to tell us everything that's there. Because he wants us to desire it. He wants us to be eager for it. I, I'm always, all the time saying, God, what's it going to be like to be in your presence? You know, we feel the presence of God when we're worshiping the Lord here in the church. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in his actual physical presence of God? Can you imagine? 
what it's going to be like. You know, we get all excited about celebrities and we get all excited about people who are famous and do great things. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died on the cross for your sins, the one who paid the price for your eternal life. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to see him face to face? So you keep that as your number one focus. Number two is if you've got something good, you share it. You need to tell people about Jesus. You need to tell people that there's a hell. You need to tell people there's a heaven. You need to say, God, what can I do here to impact heaven? Some some of you, and I don't I hope this isn't any of you, but some of you might be with the mentality, I'm just gonna be happy if I get there. If I can just slide in and see the ref go safe, I'll be good. And listen, some people are gonna get in that way. And for some people, God's going to be like, it's going to be barely. Peter even said that, that some people are going to barely escape the flames of hell. I've told people it's going to be like a fire extinguisher. Peter's going to put a fire extinguisher on some people's butts when they walk through heaven. Amen. You just barely got in. And you know what? They're going to be happy, no doubt. But... That's not the mentality God wants us to have. He wants us to go to heaven and take people with us. Because, man, can you imagine the joy of having somebody come up to you in heaven? You know, we walk around and we do that two minutes and we talk to each other and we hug. And we, how can you imagine someone coming up and hugging you and saying, thank you because you told me about Jesus, I'm here. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, the Bible says. So if you win souls, you're wiser than Solomon. He who wins souls is wise. As a matter of fact, that's in Proverbs. He said that himself. With all the money he had, he said, He who wins souls is wise. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor the thieves can steal. Every time you do something for God, it's going into the eternal bank account that nobody can touch and nobody can steal from this morning. And number three, and lastly, how can I glorify God? with my life what can I do to glorify God in everything that I do I push praise to the Lord just just I don't remember if it was a year ago I mentioned the death of a famous basketball coach he was also a player Monty Williams lost his wife some of you will remember that his wife they were believers strong believers and he lost his wife in a drunk driving accident head on from their 40s. Can you imagine what it would be like to lose your spouse to a head on accident? And he got up at that funeral and he glorified God. I don't know how, but he glorified God because God gave him strength. So we can take tragedy and we can turn it into something for his glory.
And the Bible actually says that God created us for his glory. Everyone, the Bible says, who's called by my name in Isaiah 43, 7, whom I've created for my glory. So the Bible says also in Revelations 4.11, you're worthy. We sang this this morning, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and are created. If you bow your heads this morning and close your eyes all over this place, it's time to do some business with the Lord. For some of you, you might be in the position that I was, lost. You might not even be a bad person, but you're lost. You might actually be a really good person, but you have no peace. You have no joy. You have no fulfillment. Nothing that you try to do gives you peace. Everything you try to do leaves you empty. You might be here and say you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea how many mistakes I've made. You have no idea how many sins I've committed. Whatever the case is, both of those people I just mentioned are on equal ground. Lost is lost. Doesn't matter what the reason is, lost is lost. But the Bible says today you can be found. How? Putting your faith, not in a man, not in a church membership, not in a person, not in money, but in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for your sins. The Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How many this morning all over this place, from front to back and side to side, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit would say this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm ready to meet God. I don't know if I died today, as you said, if I breathed my last breath, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. But this morning, I want to know. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you just put your hand up and put it right back down all over this place? God bless you. How many more? all over. I don't know Jesus. I'm just going to wait just a few seconds. I don't know Jesus. I want to know him this morning as my Lord and my Savior. I'm not sure if I died this morning where I'd go. I'm not sure where I'd spend eternity. Listen, that's a serious thing. I have read to you straight from the Bible this morning. I have told you straight from the Bible. Hebrews 9:27 says it's appointed unto man once to die, then comes judgment. I'm not, I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm just warning you what the future holds. God has great things for you. Don't let the devil steal it. I'm going to wait five more seconds. I will be innocent this morning as we leave this service. As I have presented you the gospel. As I have presented you Jesus. If you walk out of here and don't know him, I can't do anything for you. But how many would say, would you pray for me this morning? I need to make sure that I'm saved. Just put your hand up. Put it right back down. God bless you, sir. God bless you. I want us to stand to our feet all over this place. Please don't talk or move around. 
And I want to do one more thing. There's some people in here this morning that were like me. When I gave my life to the Lord, I was raised in church. My parents took me to church. They were good examples. I gave my life to the Lord at nine years old. I believed in Jesus Christ at nine years old. I believed all, all through high school that he was real. I knew God was real. But I had some bad influences in my life. I had some bad people around me, and I followed to a certain extent, and then I led what I followed, and I did bad things and went off the, off the course and came back to the Lord. There might be some people in here this morning that at some point in your life you've said, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of the living God. I believe you save. I believe your salvation, but you've ran away from him. Revelation talks about going back to your old ways. Revelation talks about losing your first love, becoming lukewarm, whether you're not, where you're not either hot or cold. If that's you this morning, why don't you, why don't you come pray? Say, that's me. Would you pray for me this morning? God bless you. How many more? Need to come back. Honest hearts. You say, everybody's looking around. Yeah, so? Don't be ashamed of Jesus. I'm going to ask as they begin to sing this song, if you've never been saved or you want to rededicate your life right now, maybe you didn't even raise your hand. This is your moment. Step out of your seat. Come stand right here where I am. I want to pray for you. Quickly, you raised your hand. Just step out. Just step out. Come stand right here. We're going to pray for you this morning. I want to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to be sure this morning that I'm saved. I want to give Jesus my life. As they sing this, I want you just to close your eyes. I want you just to worship God for a second. And we're going to leave this altar open in case someone else wants to come. There's room for you at the altar this morning. I want to make that choice. Amen. I, I still believe the Holy Spirit's drawing some people. He's touching your heart this morning. He's speaking to your heart this morning. Amen. Just come. Make a decision. I just want to make sure that Jesus, you know that you're my Lord, that you're my Savior, that I believe in you and what you did on the cross for me. Oh, Father, right now, touch these hearts. Touch these hearts as they're, as they're praying. Maybe this morning you, want, you need prayer for something else. Maybe this morning you want boldness to share your faith. Maybe you need to help with some things that are more important to you than God. And there's some idols in your life. We're going to open up these altars for just a minute on this Sunday morning. Come find a place to pray. Come find a place to talk to the Lord as they sing this song.
Just lift your hands this morning and worship God. I want more. I want more of you, Lord. Just say, Lord, fill me up this morning with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your glory this morning. Oh, Lord, we worship your name this morning, God, because you are who you say you are, God. You're the Son of the living God. You're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Oh, Jesus. Set a fire down inside. Make that your prayer right now. Wherever you're at in this congregation, just say, God, set a fire in my soul so that I can be a witness to somebody, so that I can be a blessing to somebody, so that I can help somebody. Set a fire. Light a fire in my soul. Let it burn, God. Cause me to talk about you. Cause me to tell others about you today. Cause me to love you like you love me this morning. Set a fire. Set a fire. Oh, yes, God. Oh, my reason to live is you, to worship you, to worship you, Lord. There's no place I'd rather be than in your presence, Father. Oh, there's no place than here. Oh, there's no place. say a prayer that the Bible says is salvation. Next time you're tempted to put your eyes on something that's worldly, when I say worldly, meaning drawing your attention from God, money, career, things. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a thing if that thing doesn't have you. you can go, if you can go buy a car or buy a house or buy a thing and it doesn't dominate your soul, if it's not what replaces the happiness that God gives you, there's nothing wrong with it. An idol is what replaces your compassion or your passion, your love for Jesus. Meaning you'd rather have that than Jesus. And that's, that's, that's what the devil's constantly wanting to do. He's constantly wanting to put things in us that draw us away from God. That's why Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then he says and then all the things you need will be added unto you but seek first the kingdom of God I, I'm a living testimony of that God has blessed me in my life and provided in my life and done miracles for me in my life because I've tried to keep him first and whenever I've failed or fallen off that path he's been gracious to pull me back on and say come on son stay on course finish the race finish the race so next time you're pulled away, just remember the words of Solomon. That's vanity. That's vanity. But what a blessing it is to be prosperous, to be talented, to be uh, all those things and know Jesus. That's the real blessing, that you can use those things God gives you and glorify God. There are people in this world who have things and have money and they glorify God. But they've learned 
that money doesn't make them happy. Only Jesus does. So remind yourself of those words. If this world is all I have, I'm lost. But we're looking constantly, watching, saying, Jesus, keep me ready for when you come back for us. Keep my heart clean. Keep my heart pure. Keep me detached from idols and things that draw me away. If you would this morning from your heart, just pray this prayer with me. I want to make sure everybody here is right with God this morning. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for having me here this morning. It's by your grace and your mercy that I'm even here. I could be in a hospital bed. I could be in jail. I could be strung out on drugs. I could be dead, but I'm here. That's by your grace. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're going to come back for me. You've been preparing a place for me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the dead. My faith is in you and nothing else. You are my happiness. You are my joy. You are my peace. You are my satisfaction. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Come into my life. Govern my life. Lead my life. Be everything to me. And I will follow you. Forgive me for my sins. All of them. Wash them away in your precious blood. And Lord, forgive me for future sins. Help me today to repent and to turn to you and keep my eyes on you. Please write my name in the Lamb's book of life. It's written in the book of Revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. He is so good this morning. He is so awesome this morning. Amen. As you go out of here this morning, just remember these things. Focus on heaven. Focus on telling others about that place. And then say, Lord, help me glorify God in everything I do. Amen. Amen. Don't forget we have service again tonight at 6. And if you are new and you just came and you just got saved, just gave your life to the Lord, find someone in here. Ask them, hey, what, you know, how, how you growing? How you learning? Get around some other people. Ask them when we have Bible studies. Ask them when we have discipleships. Ask them when we have other services because the only way you're going to make it is to keep coming. I'm proud of all of you that I'm starting to see very consistently over and over again. Amen. That's how you make it. Got to stay in fellowship. The Bible says that as the day draws closer, we should be more in fellowship, not less. Amen. So love on somebody as you go this morning. Hug them. Tell them you're glad they're here. And